So you're on the panel, RNZ National. Lovely to have your company this afternoon. Liam here and Joe McCarroll with me today. Now, debate continues on whether the Reserve Bank went too far. The Reserve Bank has delivered an increase of 75 basis points to 4.25% to the official cash rate, the biggest hike in the OCR since it was introduced as a monetary policy tool in 1999. Professor Craig McCulloch was on the panel yesterday. He said this. I think it's a case of the Reserve Bank acting like a drunken driver. I think it's a case of the Reserve Bank not seeing inflation coming towards us at 100 miles an hour. Acting like a drunken driver. This is set to add thousands to a mortgage, some projecting up to $12,000 a year on a 500k home loan. Uh, if you want a question, uh, text me at 2101. If we'll have time, we'll slip it in. With me is economist Cameron Bagri from Bagri Economics. Kia ora, Cameron. Oh, good evening. Debate is really building over whether the Reserve Bank may have gone too far. Has the Reserve Bank caused more pain than necessary? Well, I guess you've got to look at two sides of the ledger. One, if you look at inflation, inflation's a thief that steals people's money. Inflation is making a lot of households go backwards. It's been well documented across central banks when they say inflation in an economy does not work for anybody. So it's a high priority to get inflation down. The problem is the antidote or the bit of medicine that we're going to dish out to get inflation down is quite crucifying in some areas because, as the Reserve Bank pointed out yesterday, odds are we're going to need a pretty decent recession. Odds are unemployment is going to be moving up pretty rapidly. And, of course, the housing market's already under a fair bit of pressure. Life and the economy is, is about balance. And what we've got at the moment is an economy that's very unbalanced, big mismatch between demand versus supply that's adding to inflation. You know, there's a big reset, you know, correction, unfortunately, that's going on the other side, and that is going to involve some difficult times and hard choices for central banks. You know, that they have to get inflation down, but you know, the, the potion to do that is hardly what you call household, voter, politically, business-friendly. Yeah, well, uh, Cameron, I, I've been doing the numbers for my own mortgage and uh, some tough conversations are going to be had in our household come April when we have to refix. Uh, give us the numbers. I mean, what's this going to mean for those with a mortgage? Well, you go back 18 months ago, you, you could walk into a bank and you could get a a one, two-year fixed mortgage rate that had a low two in front of it. You know, you're going to be walking into a bank and it's going to have a six in front of it. So for a lot of people out there, there's $160 billion worth of mortgages that's going to refinance in the coming 12 months. They're going to see a big, as in turbocharged, increase in their interest payments, you know, doubling or tripling. Now, that doubling or tripling they need to get is an after-tax number. You know, so you think about, you know, let's say your, your mortgage goes up by three to 400 basis points on a half a million dollar mortgage. You know, you're talking about a pretty substantial five-figure sum, and that five-figure sum you need to get is an after-tax number. So there's some real economic pain around the corner, which involves taking money out of people's pockets so that we can't spend as much. But what we've got at the moment is an economy 
that's celebrating probably a little bit too much economic success. You know, we've, it's great that we've got low employment. It's great that we've got you know, really strong labour market, incredibly strong wage, wage gains. But unfortunately, when you get too much of that good thing, you know, the imbalances, the warning signs, the right. excesses, the inflation, all those things start to pop. <laughs> Some would say, uh, Cameron, if this looks like success, you can jolly well keep it, you know? 12 k a year on a mortgage? I don't know. Joe? Well, I'm not wanting to minimise the economic pain, which is very, very real. But um, I, I guess I wonder if you know, Cameron, how many people are in that unique position of being particularly affected by this. For instance, my mortgage rate, I've had my house about 16 years now, and when I bought it, the mortgage rate was about three times what I'm paying now. Um, So in my lifetime, I've paid that mortgage rate. And so I know I can do it again because I've done it before. And I did it by things I'd probably prefer not to, like I had to have a flatmate, you know, things like that. Um, But it's the, the people who seem to me to be particularly exposed, and I'm not dismissing how stressful and um, difficult it will be are people who bought very recently with a large mortgage and they've only ever had access to that very cheap money. But how many people is that? Well, in terms of the, the number count, you know, I, I don't have that figure off the top of my head, but you know, the Reserve Bank analysis that came in their financial stability report that... Yeah, interest rates get up to around 7%. We're going to start to see some pretty severe mortgage stress. Now, the precise number behind that, we don't know. But this is just the unfortunate byproduct of having a, a bit too much of that good thing. You know, we had record low interest rates. And you know, for a lot of people, a lot of older, you know, you've been used to higher interest rates. Mm. You know, interest rates up around these sort of levels, well, it doesn't really phase you too much. But if you've been a recent buyer in the property market and you were hoovering up sort of one and two year rates that had a two percent in front of it and sort of thinking, well, that was going to be the rate that's going to be around for a long time, well, you're in for a pretty nasty surprise in regard to what's going on. But a lot of people out there, you know, just particularly have been around a bit and seen a few cycles, seen interest rates a lot higher than this. Yeah, I'm not going to blink an eye in regard to what's going on, but there is a segment of society that's going to experience a a lot of pain. It's not just the first-time buyers. You go talk to any property investor at the moment that is now seeing those fixed rates start to nudge up and you can't put rental increases through to match and you can't claim that interest deductibility on the other side and suddenly that investment... I've got to say, it's. Um, I don't know if you'll find that many people who are going to have a lot of sympathy for property investors. I mean, um, you know, they, their risk is not protected. Well, they're still, they're, they're, it'll, it's, it's, it'll go through to rents, though, won't it, Cameron? It'll fly through to rents. It'll fly through to rents, won't it, Cameron? That higher interest rates. And renters oh, up, yeah. uh, it was announced today as well. Yeah, well, yeah, life, unfortunately, doesn't work like that, where every time you get a cost increase, you're able to pass it on. Yeah, that, that might have been the playbook in the 1970s, but the contagion to me being uh, contained, eventually you've got to see buyer resistance on the other side. And that's actually what tougher economic times, i.e. recession, actually does, is eventually the buyer says, no, I can't afford that. You might trade down in product. You might trade down in, in property. But, but you shift. And eventually that stops a lot of what's called cost push inflation ending up in consumer price inflation. And what we've seen for the last 12 months is basically a whole lot of costs have just been passed on. 
And what we're going to start to see in the next 12 to 24 months is a whole lot of cost increases. The end consumer is going to start saying no. And that's one of the prerequisites to actually getting inflation down as the economy tightens up. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, Liam. Uh, Cameron, um, so, I mean, the last sort of, well, like, uh, well, Adrian Orr has just been reappointed, but in his, his first term, we didn't hear so much for, about price stability from him. I mean, and I suppose it was a low inflationary time, but, you know, he's much more associated with um, advocacy for biculturalism and um, fighting climate change and sort of those things on the edges of what the bank's actually responsible for. I mean, is there any, uh, such a severe shock yesterday, is there any... Um, a sense that the bank is trying to sort of regain its credibility as an inflation-fighting um, institution or an institution that takes inflation seriously? Like, has it just been resting on its laurels about that now it's got to sort of prove, it, prove itself again, and that's why it's just been so harsh? Well, all central banks around the globe have got one hell of an inflation battle, probably with the exception of the Bank of Japan. So everybody's out there waving that big interest rate stick trying to get inflation down by slow and growth. I guess the big wake-up call for the Reserve Bank in New Zealand was a couple of weeks ago when they got their two-year ahead for their inflation expectation survey. And what they said was that the market said, yeah, it took two-year ahead inflation expectations from 3.1 to 3.6%. Now, that is the market basically questioning the central bank's credibility. And one of the reasons I think the Reserve Bank went 75 basis points yesterday was send a very clear message by waving that stick, no, we're serious about getting inflation down. And you have a look at their forecasts. Yeah, they, they forecast the recession. They forecast the unemployment rate going to 5.7%. House prices falling over 2023. Yeah, that is a central bank that is following through on what needs to take place to get inflation down. Now, we'd love to say there was a better way. And right. That's a better way. Yeah, we either smack the hell out of demand or we improve the productive capacity of the economy. Yeah, get border settings, immigration settings right. Start to look for more flexibility within the labour market. Go harder on supermarket reform. There's a whole lot of things we'd like to see doing from the supply side. Yeah, let's get supply up because if we get supply up, we don't need to belt the as much as the hell out of demand. Yeah. Now, finally, Cameron, the next OCR rise is on the cards for what? Feb. 22nd next year, what can we expect? Well, it's still four months away, and you know, one of the reasons that the Reserve Bank, I think, went a little bit larger once again was because there's a four months is a long time. It's not like you're the Reserve Bank of Australia where you can tweak the thing 25 basis points every month. Yeah, so, you know, they went a little bit larger, but we'll let the data dictate yeah. things. My instinct at the moment, well, the, the key indicator that needs to turn is the labour market, because in the Reserve Bank's right. words, we're exceeding maximum sustainable employment. Now, for the labour market to turn, this is not just about inflation versus jobs. A whole lot of other things need to take place in between. Asset prices fall. We need to see a turn in the construction sector, which means some construction firms need to fail. We need to see the profitability cycle turn, and that hurts businesses, and then you start to see cost-cutting, and, of course, then we get into labour. So oh, there's going to be a massive political battle in 2023 in regard to inflation versus jobs trade-offs, yeah. but there's a whole lot of variables in between that are all interconnected. There's much to come, isn't there, Cameron? Kia ora. Thanks for the explain. I really appreciate it. That's Cameron Bagri from uh, Bagri Economics. It's 19 past four, the panel. Joe McCarroll. 
Liam here with me today. Consumer NZ said they are seriously concerned that New Zealanders are having their sensitive biometric information collected, analysed while they go about their shopping. Foodstuffs North Island, which owns New World, Pack and Save and Foursquare supermarkets, is using FRT, all this facial recognition tech, in 29 of its stores. Now, this involves the identification of a person based on an analysis of their facial features. Now, databases of facial recognition have become big business globally. So, what are the possible consequences of their data or your data being collected in this way. With us is investigative writer Rory O'Shea from Consumer NZ. Rory, kia ora. Yeah, how are you? Good. Explain a little bit more how it works. So I, Wallace Chapman, walk into a supermarket. I do my shopping. What happens? So facial recognition is basically the identification of the person based on an analysis of their facial features. So if you imagine your fingerprint is distinct and it's only it's only what you've got, uh, so that you can be uniquely identified in theory. Facial recognition is a security camera with an artificial intelligence program underlying it that can identify your eyes, nose, lips, ears, that kind of thing. Wow. And create a face print similar to your fingerprint that would allow them to pick you out of a database of faces effectively. So if your name is on a if your name is on a database next to your face and you walk in to somewhere using facial recognition, such as security at an airport, they can pick out your face and say, That's Wallace uh we aren't worried about him. If they were worried about the next person, they'd be able to pick that person out. Um, so that, that's, that's the theory. That's amazing. So I walk into my local super, uh, get my custard square, bottle of milk and instant noodles. They get, they've got my lips, my eyes and a couple of other features. But I assume, uh, Rory, that that data wouldn't be shared and that it would belong to me. Uh, well... I think I think the the storage of the data is a is a kind of significant is a significant debating point here, right? So in, in theory, they're just scanning. They should in theory the way this could work or should work is they scan your face and then that data is discarded pretty much immediately when you are considered to be no threat, right? What Foodstuffs are saying is that they hold on to the data for five days and they're saying they only hold on to it for five days. Now, how many people have been in one of these twenty nine stores in the last five days? I'd, I'd, I'd hazard a guess that it's quite a lot. And then I'd ask how many people go to the supermarket every three days. I'd hazard that that figure is quite high. So effectively, that's the scale of the vulnerability we're talking about. If this information was to be stolen, and there's no there's no impregnable data set, right? In Australia, in the last couple of months, we've seen 9.7 million people, including potentially the Prime Minister, have had their health information stolen from Medibank. Yeah. Uh, people's kind of list of people who've had abortions, who've had mental health issues, who are addicted to alcohol or drugs, have had their names leaked to prove that they have to prove that the hackers have this data. And foodstuffs is not immune from this type of attack. And so at any point, five days worth of facial recognition data could be vulnerable. Okay, so this is a significant. um, public issue, isn't it, Joe? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that's your own, you know, sensitive information that you have the right to protect and control. Um, Liam, I, I understand. Um, Rory, sorry, I understand there are um, issues with how it reads different ethnic groups. Mm. Uh, yes, that's correct. So the, the accuracy, bias, and discrimination possible with the use of FRT is, is a really big concern, and it's just 
it's just rife throughout the privacy literature, right? So there's there's no way an organisation using this technology would not be aware of these problems. Um, so we're, we're particularly worried about people being the victims of mistaken identity and the implications of things like wrongful arrest or being denied entry to an essential service could happen on a person. I just want to make one clarifying point or one kind of go one step further when we talk about the potential potential harm this is not a password this is not the code that you enter into your phone this is our face right we can't change it if we if someone gets hold of our password short of having plastic surgery right this is our face forever if it gets compromised, it is really serious. That's why this information is really serious. Gosh, it's a very ethical issue, isn't it? Liam, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, I just wonder what it's actually going to take, though, to, to shock the public into actually, um, you know, caring as, as much as they, they probably should, as, as much as privacy advocates are, uh, are always um, uh, scolding us to. Because, you know, I mean, it's, what, you know, while it's the next evolution or it's the next step, it's hardly the, the, um, the, the, the first part of the journey. And, you know, just um, from, from the apps that we use to uh, the, um, the, the speakers that we have, um, we're just so black. We all know about it. We all we're all well aware of this Big Brother society that we're living in, which is sort of a sort of a privatized Big Brother. But we just, you know, when the push comes to shove, it's just the convenience always seems to win out. And I just, I just really wonder what's it actually going to take um, well, to shock I, I, the public mm. into caring. Well, I've got a question, Roy, for you. I mean, there have been some really terrible stories of abuse of supermarket workers. Throughout the pandemic, we've talked about this on this show, daily incidents of aggression still happening, shoplifting, a considerable issue. This surely is simply another crime prevention as well, isn't it? You've got incidents going up 246% since 2020. What's wrong with using this facial recognition technology to combat this? Yeah, so that that 246% figure has been released by Foodstuffs in anticipation of our story uh, being released. I think that it's really important to say that there has always been crime, okay? And, and it appears that a range of economic factors have driven an acute increase, and we are, and we are seeing that. And we do sympathise with all retailers, right? But all retailers are living in this context, and Foodstuffs North Island appears to be the only one resorting to this technology. Now, I would really argue that facial recognition is not just another form of surveillance, You've probably only had your fingerprints taken if you've committed a crime or if you've been applying for a visa to particular markets. But with facial recognition, businesses can gather your sensitive biometric information without you even realising, right? And what if you got consent? What if there was a big yellow sign at the front door saying FRT is an operation? Would that allay public's concerns like Liam's talking about? Well, I would, I would, just, I would just question and, I, and I, I would ask consumers to come to consumer. Uh, about this with with pictures of the signs that are at the door because, uh, yeah, if, if, if there is a giant, ginormous yellow sign saying we use facial recognition, then it's pretty hard to argue that people would be aware that their data is being picked up in this way. There, there doesn't appear to be that, that the, the kind of particular standards. And I think beyond that, it, it's about the kind of the essential nature of supermarkets. So, for example, for example Sky City in Auckland, uh, use facial recognition technology in a casino, right? And we've spoken to Martin Beckier, who's the head of the Privacy Foundation, and he's deeply concerned about the use of um, facial recognition in supermarkets, but he's not concerned about the use of facial recognition in a boutique bar that you choose to go to and you're very aware they're using facial recognition. Um, there's, there are kind of legislative 
potential potential answers to this, right? In, in Australia, new laws have been produced by the Human Technology Institute at the, at the University of Technology in Sydney, and their regulation proposes that different rules be applied for different uses of facial recognition technology. Right. So in this framework, retail would be considered high risk and its use would be prohibited, but the use of airports at security screening for international airports might be considered ah, to, be, to be appropriate. I see. That's the difference. I understand that. Hey, very interesting to have you on, Rory. Kia ora. Thanks for your time. No problem. That's Rory O'Shea at Consumer NZ. Uh, you're on the panel, RNZ National. Very interesting topic, that one. But I wanted to come to this. I thought I'd put this to the panel. Uh, they can solve this. What a conundrum this is. Crocs or sandals? A Whangarei Boys High School a parent wants uh, Crocs to be part of the uniform. If you don't know what Crocs are, they're a kind of slip-on foam footwear. Super ugly my opinion, but comfy. They have become trendy. Anyway, one parent was stunned when a teacher told her son that his black Crocs did not comply. It's Roman sandals all the way, thank you. I was brought up on Roman sandals, Joe, and I just think they're the worst, the worst things out. Uh, so is there some give and take on this? Let's go around the panel uh, on this. Joe. Um, I think Crocs could be made part of the uniform, but frankly I don't have a problem if they're not yet part of the uniform, because it sounds like the school's very open to that discussion. Um, I don't have a problem no, with not. this. No, they've said no. No, no. Even no. when, even when um, uh, the parent uh, or the boy blacked out the Croc label, uh, the school went, no, we'd prefer Roman sandals. Mm. I think if they're part of the uniform, it's fine to wear them. But I think the it's idea not part of, of the uniform. That's if the they're problem. not part of the uniform, <laughs> and that, that that seems to me to be a reasonable position for the school to take. Okay, so no to Crocs, Liam. Yeah, it's a big no for me. Um, you, it's not just your opinion that Crocs are ugly; they are just ugly. This objective truth. Um, I came home from work the other day, and my wife had unfathomably bought three pairs of Crocs for my three boys. And I saw them wearing them, and they were bright yellow. And I just thought, this is just horrible. Like, just treating my children with this lack of dignity, getting them to wear these disgusting things. Just to be clear, um, my objection and... is not that I think Crocs are ugly. <laughs> lack of dignity! Is, <laughs> or is, your yeah, family listen, is your family listening uh, to this, uh, Liam? Yeah, I don't know, I've got no idea. Look, I don't actually consider myself to be super fashionable. In fact, I actually own a pair of adult Roman sandals, which my wife mm. is always um, having me on about. Um, but actually, just crocs are too far. Like, it's just, you know, it's like putting a clothes on a dog or something like that. You know, Good it's just heavens. beneath the dignity of human beings. My, my objection is not on fashion grounds. I think it is up to the school to come up with a uniform policy. And... Um, in discussion with the community that that school serves. And I think um, every student has always pushed the uniform policy at school. I yes. remember when I was at school, you'd have a you know, non-clear nail polish or you'd have your ear pierced twice rather than once, you know. And um, I think that's, that's all that's happening here. And I think the school has actually offered the um, student concerned a pair of sandals while the issue was resolved. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like it's okay, a Okay, so it's Roman sandals. Are, and you, uh, you're appealing at, you're going back to your fashion roots, Liam, here, uh, and saying... Well, yeah. That, yeah, well, crocs are right. anti-fashion. They're not, they're not fashionable, they're anti-fashion. I, they're they're the ironic fashion. fashion. They're ironic fashion. Well, but you shouldn't even wear them ironically. That's how just, I just hate them so much. And I, my three sons wear these yellow crops all the time now, yeah. and it's just humiliating to go out in public with them. Just one question, just one question, Liam. Have you ever tried wearing them? 
Um, no, in a, in a well, guess what? Well, guess what? They're what? very, they're comfortable, very are they? comfortable. In fact, they're well, extraordinarily not... comfortable. Uh, do you know what's comfortable? A bathrobe. I wouldn't wear a bathrobe to the office. Or pyjamas. You're on the, the panel. RNZ National. It's time for headlines. Thank you, Wallace. Actually, I just want to say, um, I had a pair of uh, high heel Crocs once. You're kidding me. They were amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Honestly. They don't exist, do they? They are fabulous.